Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to, to open your word and to see what you'd have us to see from this. And, and Lord, just the, the power of the Satan's attack as, as we move forward is shown in this chapter. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ezra chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, the chief of the fathers, and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhodon, king of Azur, which brought us up hither. But Zebul... Zerubbabel and Joshua Yeshua said, and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build a house to, unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in their building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the year of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote unto him an, an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Ahasuerus wrote Bishlam, Mithrildath, Tabelel, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the, in the letter of the writing was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian language. Rehum, the counselor of Shifshat, the, the scribe, wrote the letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, in this sort. And we're going to stop there for just a moment, so we're going to look at this. Uh, starts out, they finally get building, and we know that they've been doing this uh, about two years, if you remember. It took them two years to start laying the foundation. They laid the foundation of the temple. There's great rejoicing and celebration. And then the Samaritans, the people of Samaria, Samaria decided to make trouble. <laughs> and Samaritans are, as a group, were developed. We know a lot about the Samaritans from Jesus' time and everything, but the history of the Samaritans were... When the Israelites were captured by Babylon and, and moved out, all that, all that was left in Israel was the very poorest and uh, untechnical people, the ones that didn't have jobs, they, they had never run businesses, they were very poor. And then what happened was that they started moving colonies in, people in from Babylon into this area. And the first move was about right after they were, you know, be, before... Judah was taken, they moved into northern Israel, the first wave of Babylonian settlers, and they came from all over the, over the area, and they were sent to help inhabit that area that they had emptied, and then when the captives went into Babylon, they, uh, this, this person that they referred to, Ersahadan, sent another wave of Babylonian captivity, uh, you know, uh, settlers into this land and they intermarried with the Jews that were in that land and then they intermingled their religions with the Judaism and the idolatry and formed something that was not Jewish anymore. So when the Jewish in settlers come back to this area they find all these what they consider half-breeds and individuals that are not worshipping God the way they're supposed to be 
worshiping God. Not that they had worshiped God the way they were supposed to, but they looked at these people and said, you're, re you know, we're not doing it, but you're way, you know, way off. And so they want to have nothing to do with them. And this is going to go on all the way till now. As a matter of fact, for the handful of Samaritans that are left, uh, they Jews don't want to have anything to do with them. And the Samaritans on their part say, well, we've been here, you know, we were here, you guys were taken captive, we were here, and, and we're trying to do this mixed up, mixed up thing, you know, and, and ours is legitimate. And so they come to the leaders in, in Jerusalem and say, hey, you know, why don't you just let us help you build the temple? You know, after all, we're, we're trying to worship the same God, you know, we're, we seek the same God you do. And this is what we hear even today amongst the lost world. You know, well, you know, you Christians, you, you worship God. You know, we're all worshiping the same God. And we need to really begin to understand. Their answer was back, you know, hey, you have nothing to do with us. You know, you're not worshiping the same God. And that needs to be our answer as Christians. These other religions out there are not worshiping the same God. They're not even seeking after the same thing. And in one sense, all religions outside of Christianity are the same. They, they, they're built upon works. Do good works and, you're, and you get to please the deity. But by the same token, they're all totally different at the same time because how do you please this deity and what, how do you worship this deity and what the deity is, if there is a deity, is totally different. Uh, we've got you know, something like the Hindus, which, which have thousands of gods in their... In their in their in their canopy of gods, you've got the Buddhists who don't even have a god. You know, you just try to get into self enlightenment. You know, you are the technically you become the god. You know, you're you're the one that gets into this totally self enlightened. You know, your you you know place. Uh, you've got the Islam who say they worship the same god as we worship, but they got a god that you can't know, doesn't want to know you, is a very angry, vicious god. You know, no grace, no mercy. You know, when you get to stand before him, you may, if you're really lucky, get to be admitted into heaven. You know, and you see this all through the different religions out there. They all have, they're all, number one, based on works, but then they have this whole way. And this is what the people of Samaria were saying. Hey, we, you know, we're part Jew. We, we kind of understand your God. We, we have one God we're trying to worship. You know, but we don't worship them the same way you do, but we're worshiping the same God. And let us help you build this temple. We'd love to be part, you know, add you, add you to, our, to our way of doing things. And this is what happened to the Christian church in 400 AD when Constantine declared Christianity the approved religion of Rome. Basically, people just started mixing their religions up into Christianity and out of that process, came the Roman Catholic Church, which is a mixed mash Catholic of... Catholic means universal. Catholic means universal, or one. So they mixed it all But the, the Roman Catholic Church took all these different inputs... And made it universal. And made it a universal church, but they took a, they stepped away from true Christianity. So they're, the, they're like the Samaritans in that sense. They've mixed it all together, saying, hey, we're, we all, we're all worshiping the same God, and... We need to be able to take a stance. Not that we say, no, there's no way you can be, you know, that we're going to be around you. But we need to keep that sense that we are separate. We worship God, and to worship him, you have to have him be part of who you are. He has to be your savior. He has to be your master. 
And anything short of that is the wrong way to worship. And even churches that name the name of Christ, there are many of them that don't worship God because they're just trying to put together works and, and on all these other different things upon people. And we want to be able to say, just as these leaders in, Israel, in Jerusalem said, hey, no, you, you're not part of us. We don't need your help to build our work. Because the, non, the, the, the non-Christian people will try to come in and say, hey, we'll, we'll give you lots of money to help you. You know, just kind of tone down your, your, your gospel message. You know, you know, we'll give you lots of input. You know, you know, don't, don't build a grace-only church. You know, it's because you know, if you, you, know, you, you get people these ideas that they can earn their salvation, we'll support you completely. We'll give you, we'll give you the money to do this. We'll give you our service. And, and God is saying, no, there's a separation. And anybody is welcome in the ser- church, but no, the ones who are going to serve are going to be those who have made a declaration that they are followers of Christ and know what it means. And not that they're perfect, because none of us will ever be perfect, but you have to be able to say, I'm following Christ. It's by grace you are saved, not by works. And we're working on crucifying our flesh. We're working on, on learning just to walk in God. We know it's all by grace. and doesn't mean that we don't work at trying to do things, but it is by grace. We're not doing the works to earn anything from God. And this is what the people are saying, you know, we're, hey, go, just go away. So when they were rebuffed, in verse 4, they, the people, then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them. So they started, okay, well, you're not allowing us to help you. We're going to give you a hard time. And they would stop the the materials from coming in, you know, they would do all kinds of things to weaken, you know, the spirit of the people. And that is Satan's first, Satan's first attack on a Christian church is to try to mix the two together and water down the, the message by getting mixed. If he, if he can't accomplish that, then he's going to try to discourage people. And that comes by bringing people into the church that, or, or even those who are in the church, but they get in to say critical things that, that hurt people and, and make them get depressed and pull away from the church because of their, because of their, their way of you know, criticizing and attacking them. And, and, you know, and it's not even done on purpose by the person who does it a lot of times. Sometimes they think they're just being, you know, speaking the truth and then they find out you know, that what they've done is hurt somebody. And, and then that person will hold the grudge and, and keep, you know, and be angry and pull away and, and not seek, seek uh, restoration and, and rejoining and blame them, you know, blame others for, their, for where they're at. And, and I know how that goes because I've shared with people when I walked away from the church, it was I blamed others. You know, nobody called me. Nobody came out to, to see me. You know, and I had all kinds of excuses and they were valid excuses, but they were excuses. I still made the choice to not come to church. And no matter what the reason was, it was still my choice. And when I came to the realization that it was my choice and, and, and repented and came back, it was come back. And the great thing about God is he does not make us come back. He goes, oh, you fell from a, being a teacher? Well, we're going to make you be the, the janitor for, for eight years and prove that you're going to be faithful before you come back. No, he says... We're going to bring you back. You were called to do something. He brings us back to our calling. The problem for all, most people is that they don't know what their calling is. They haven't spent time with God to find out what their calling is in a, in a church. 
And this is where it's important. What has God called us to do? How are we preparing to, call, to meet that call? How are, we being, how are we being trained? And this is important for us to understand because that calling is critical. Uh, if you're not called to be a pastor and you try to be a pastor, you're going to hurt a lot of people. If you're not called to be a teacher and you try to teach, you're going you're gonna to probably say a lot of dumb things. If you're the servant of the church and you try to do other things, then somebody's not going to be doing the service of the church. And we need to figure out, God, what is it that you have called me to do and then go out and do it, whatever that might be. And there's plenty of jobs in every church that there's going to be jobs needed. It could be just going out and inviting people to come to church. It could be going out and giving the gospel out and then discipling those people and teaching them, this is how you get into the Word. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to study the Word. And helping them learn how to study the Word and then getting them into church to, to learn more. You know, whatever that might be, we need to get out there and do that. And then, you know, he tries to destroy it. And then it says in verse 5, they hired counselors or advisors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they're sending people. Cyrus sent them to do a work. And they're sending people back to Cyrus, telling them how bad they're doing and how, how, how bad these people are. And you know, Cyrus is looking and saying, hey, my name was told to go, to go, go there and, and build, this, build this temple back up and restore them. You know, I'm not listening to you. So for the entire time that Cyrus is there, they're sending a bad report, trying to make him you know, feel bad about the, you know, what's going on there, uh, trying to make them look bad. And Darius, and then it says, until Darius comes. And then we get into this. All right. Now, Satan can't stop us by intermixing with us. He can't stop us by making people feel bad and, and totally destroying a church. Then he starts with this last step of, accusations and this is where we started first they started sending advisors to Cyrus and Cyrus just wasn't listening but then when Darius or Ahasuerus he begins to reign and they start writing accusations to Darius okay and they're going to go you know hey we're going to write a letter to, to Darius Darius isn't the one that sent them he may have some problems with these with these uh, people and so we start seeing this, and this is where we stopped as we got ready to read the letter that they sent. And this is the false accusations, and this is the last step Satan will try to do. If he can't stop us internally, he'll get accusations against us. And whether they're false or, or true really don't matter, but they're accusations to try to destroy. And they can be things from people's past. It can be, you know, that have been forgiven. It can be, you know, whatever it might be, they send accusations. And this is the letter that they wrote in verse 9. Then wrote Rehum, the chancellor, and Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions, the Danites and the Afarshachites, and the Terpelites, and the Aphrosites, and the Arshekvites, the Babylonians, and the Shusanites, and the Deharvites, and the Emulites. And the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Ashnapar brought over and sent to the city of Samaria, and the rest that are on this side of the river, and at such a time. This is a copy of the letter that they sent unto, unto him, even unto Artaxerxes the king. Your servants, the men of this side of the river, at such a time, be it, mean, be it 
known unto the king that the Jews which came from up from you to us are coming to Jerusalem building the rebellious and bad city. They have set up walls thereof and joined the foundations and be it known now unto the king that if this city be built and the wall set up again then they will not pay toll, tribute, and custom. And so you shall endamage the, the revenue of the kings. Now because we have maintenance from the king's palace and it was not meant for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we have sent and certified the king that search may be made in the books of the records of your fathers, so shall you find in the book of the records and know that this city is rebellious and hurtful unto the kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, and which cause was the city's was the city destroyed. We certify the king that if this city be built again and the walls are forced set up, by this means they shall have no portion on this side of the river. All right, so this is the letter that, they're, that they sent. Now, that's full of accusations. Some of them are real from the past, and, but not necessarily true in the, in the presence. And this is one of the things that, that we as Christians have to be able to get up. Not to be foolish, but we also have to be able to say people change. People can be changed in where they go. And we as humans have a hard time with this. We like to remember the past. Uh, you know, Paul is in the New Testament is going to say, let him who stole steal no more. And it doesn't mean that we do silly, you know, give them plenty of opportunities, but we also want to say God has made people a new creation. He can change people. And this is where it walks into a very fine line between faith and sight because... You know, if somebody is a, a, a really big-time thief, you don't necessarily want to give them the keys to the cash drawer. But by the same token, you've also got to trust that God has changed them when they are changing. And you need to give them some opportunities to see, are they changed? Are they, who, are they, are they improved? And as we get changed in our life, God is going to make changes. And the hardest thing for the world and even other Christians to see is that person has changed. And we see this all the time, you know, somebody who's grown up in, in a problem area of their life, they, you know, they've been led into seductions and, and prostitutions, and then, we, you know, then when they get saved and God heals them, it's, oh, well, you know, maybe they have, maybe they haven't. You know, they give up alcohol or drugs, and people are looking at them, well, maybe they have, maybe they haven't, you know, and they're always looking for them to fail. And this is human nature. We're always looking for them to fail. And that's one thing that they have to understand is people are looking for them to have a relapse. Uh, when, they, when the alcoholic gives up alcohol and has been a really bad part of, you know, you know, made life difficult in their family, the spouse will always look at that person like, okay, you've given up before. How long is it going to be before you fall off the wagon? And they're always sitting there expecting, expecting that. And the person feels that, that, that negativity and everything too, and it helps them to fall off the wagon in a lot of cases. And yet, God is saying, I'm making changes in their life. You know, and it's a, it is an interesting place to be because it's hard. It's a hard place to be. How much trust do you put in that person? How much freedom do you give that person? And how much grace do you give that person? How many times do you let them fail before you say, oh, there's no hope? You know, no hope. God lets it go a long time a very long time before he says it's not not going to happen and so 
these people are writing this letter filled with half-truths on it, and it says, your servants, the men on this side of the river, which are they referring to themselves, the Samaritans, be it known to the king that the Jews which came up from you are coming to Jerusalem, building the rebellious and bad city. Now, it's kind of interesting the, the way that they in Samaria see the Jerusalem. Uh, all through the scriptures, Jerusalem is a precious jewel and, the, and the, the light. They're going, hey, this is a terrible city. This is a bad city. You know, if you let this city you know, grow back in, they're going to be rebellious. And on one side, they're very true because they're going to be following God and what God wants. So as far as the king's concerned, it might be a rebellious city. And as far as they're concerned, it might be a rebellious city. And the history of the city has been bad. You know, the last couple kings would be, would be put in place by either Assyria or Babylon, and then they would rebel. You know, they, were, they, were, they wanted to keep, the, keep those cities and let them, let them stay there and just pay tribute. And then they would go to Egypt and hire Egyptian army to fight for them, and they'd get rid of that king and try to put another king in. There's like this series of kings that keep rebelling against them. So it is, in, from that sense in history, they're going to look and say, yeah, this is a terrible, bad city. This is a rebellious city. And this is what they're going back on. You know, look back at their history. This is, this is a terrible city. <laughs> and it says, and they have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. And so, in other words, they're repairing. They're, they're fixing things up. They're making it a city again. They wanna, they're trying to strengthen this city so that it will be a, be a leader again. And it says, if this city is built, you know, and they're saying, if this city be built and the walls joined up again, then, and this is verse 13, then they will not pay toll, tribute, and customs, and shall endanger the revenue of the king. In other words, as soon as they get to be strong again, they're going to stop paying your tribute. And the sad thing was that that was the history of the city in the last couple kings, you know, last three or four of their kings was, they were supposed to pay tribute, and they sent the tribute other places to hire people to, to revolt. So this is a true statement. This is something that had been done in the past. Now, there's no evidence at all that the people that were going back right now were ever planning this, but they're saying this is the history of this city. You know, and this is going to be, we're going to see this even in Jesus' time where Rome, Rome always has this concern of, you know, the Jews have always had problems with paying taxes to, to foreign conquerors. And so it probably is a true statement even here that they were eventually going to stop wanting to pay their taxes, you know, tax and tribute and tolls. And so, and it says, now because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and this word maintenance literally in Hebrew or Aramaic, because it seems to be Aramaic in this place, is to eat salt. <laughs> And what that was was a tradition that when you were in somebody's home as a guest, that they would give you salt to eat, and salt was very expensive in that day. And if you, by partaking of the salt, you were put under the protection of that host. And what, by giving you the salt and letting you eat it, they were saying, you're under my protection. Nothing's going to happen to you because I am protecting you. And here they're saying, you know, hey, you know, by the way, you know, we're under your protection, king. Uh, and we're a long ways away, basically, they're saying. You know, we're on the other side of the Euphrates. We're, we're, we've got a desert to get here. It takes, it takes a while to get here, you know. And, uh, 
and they're trying to set up this opposing side to you and we're, we're their neighbors. Uh, we don't want trouble. We're under your protection. It is not meant for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and certify the king. By the, so they're saying, hey, king, you're, you know, these people are going to make trouble for you, so we're going to, we're sending you this letter to, you know, so you're not hurt. You know, you're not going to be surprised. And this is, this is kind of the whole thing that's going on is, here is an attack. And the problem with this attack is there's a lot of truth within, the, within what they've said as far as where, they come, where the Jews were before they went into captivity. And it says that, you know, and, and it goes, and, and by the way, King, just search, search the records. Search the records and see what this, that this city is a rebellious and hurtful unto the kings and the providences. And that they have moved sedition within the same from, of, from old time for which cause the city was destroyed. And this is a very true statement. Nebuchadnezzar had not really intended to destroy his, Jerusalem. He thought it was a beautiful city. He loved the Solomon's temple was beautiful. He really didn't want to destroy it. And that's why he kept putting new kings in that were supposed to pay him the tribute. And it's like, okay, you guys can stay, I, I, you know. And then they kept rebelling, kept rebelling, and then he went in to just, you know, they to, and destroyed everything because of their rebellion. So all of this is a very true statement. This is what the city was before. And we certify to the king that if this city be built again and the walls are upset up by this means, you shall not have any portion this side of the river. In other words, when, you, when they get done building this city, if you let them build this city, you're not going to have any money coming from here. Now, it's kind of an interesting statement because the Samaritans were not under Jerusalem. So what they're basically saying is, that, hey, if they build the city, we're also not sending you your money because it says you'll have no portion. Uh, it's kind of a threat to the king. You know, king, you're going to lose a lot of money. We, and who knows how much, I mean, uh, it was actually in his interest to rebuild the area and rebuild the businesses so he could have more taxes coming out of the area. But they're saying, hey, if this city's built, you're going to lose everything. And this is the attack that Satan does. Satan will take any little thing and exaggerate upon it. And we see this over and over. Again, my example, when I walked away from the church for a while, you know, I got busy, I, I stepped away, I was, had reasons because I was so busy at work, and then Satan exaggerated the fact that it seemed like nobody cared, I wasn't missed, all the stuff, you know. And I don't know that it was true or not, it doesn't really matter. But Satan always will intensify. Satan will take little things that people say and intensify them and add meaning to them and, and make us take it worse than it, you know, worse than it is. And I've seen this over and over where something, where I've even heard what was said and then listened to how somebody heard it and it's like, how did you get that out of that statement? You know, because Satan has exploded upon it. And most arguments start under that kind of a system. Something, something very innocently is said, and, and maybe it wasn't the right thing to say, but it wasn't somebody attacking necessarily, but it was accept, heard by the other person as a personal attack. And this is why things happen. This is why when Satan gets into, in, involved in people's lives and they don't let their flesh be crucified, they don't let God be their defense, all of a sudden they're going to defend themselves over every imagined hurt instead of just saying, God, it's yours. And it's so much nicer, 
It's so much nicer. It's much nicer to <laughs> let God defend us. Be able to just sit back and say, God, it's all in your hands. It's all where you are going to handle. And watch him defend. And sometimes he defends a lot harsher than I want to see people defended because I, I have gotten to the place where I don't want to see people harmed. Even if they're attacking me, I don't want to see them harmed because I want to see them fall into the loving arms of God. But God knows what it takes to get them to change. And, you know, and I can't argue with what he's going to do with them, but it hurts me to see them hurt. And we need to get to that place where we don't want to see people harmed just because. Even if they deserve it, it's hard to, to accept you know, that they deserve it. And, it's, and we go, God, please don't you know, love them. You know, bring, them bring, bring them in without the pain. And yet sometimes it takes that pain. And a lot of times people have to grow through pain. And one of the things I used to learn, try to learn, was how I tried to learn from other people's mistakes as much as possible so I didn't have to do them. But the best lessons come from you actually feeling the pain that is involved in the lesson. And sometimes that painful lesson has to hurt. It has to hurt and be experienced. Verse 17. Then sent the king an answer unto Rehum, the chancellor, and to Shimshai, the scribe, and to the rest of their companions that dwelt in Samaria, and unto the rest of beyond the river, peace and at such a time. And the letter which you sent unto us has been plainly read before me. Okay, so he's saying, hey, I, it was, it was, they read it to me, I understood it. And I commanded a search to be made, and it is found that this city of old time has made insurrection against the kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. So he's saying, you know what, you're right. The, histori the history of this town is that they are rebellious. And we see that anyway, and you know, we see it directly rebellion in rebellion against Babylon, and then you know, Persia expects them to be you know, them. But we also see that there's been all that uh, rebellion against God, which he's not even considering that stuff. He's just considering those last few years where, they, where there was a rebellion. And they, there have been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all the countries beyond the river, and toll and tribute and custom was paid unto them. So he's saying, oh yeah, we've recognized that at one time, you know, Jerusalem was powerful and they controlled all that area. Okay, so they have made an argument that is making sense to Ahasuerus. He's saying, uh, yes, I see that this is what they've been. This is who they have been. And they used to have good leaders. And he's thinking back to David and Solomon and, and Hezekiah and Josiah and, and all these great kings that they had that ruled and brought tribute to them. And they're in... All of a sudden, he's starting to think, you know, well, gee, if they can make themselves great again, they might want to have their territory back. And so he's got some concerns. And this is the way Satan works. He goes, he attacks people with their history and says, you know, if you give them half a chance, they're going to go back to who they were. And the world totally accepts that. The world always expects people to go back to what they were. God is is sitting there and saying, there's a chance for change. 
I get involved in their life, they're going to change. They're, you know, and, and do they always change? I'm not foolish enough to believe that they're always going to change. Will I see progress and in, in movement forward? I have seen progress and movement forward in many people when God gets into their life. The more they get into the Word, the more they have their, cha- their thinking changed, the more they start thinking like, like God because they're in God's Word, learning line upon line, precept upon precept, concept upon concept, and they start getting their mind changed. And they start being sanctified. And they start living more like God. Will they have falls? Will they fall backwards on occasion? Absolutely they'll fall backwards on occasion because they're still working on line upon line. And, but God's saying, I can change them. I can change them. Will there be problems? Of course there will be problems. We read all in the, the New Testament you know, where the letters are written saying, you know, let him who stole steal no more. You know, be crucified in Christ. You know, you know, be sanctified. You know, walk in the Spirit. You know, in everything give thanks. Over and over again, God's saying, "Here, change the way you act. Change the way you behave. Change what you're doing." And Ahasuerus is going to look at their history and saying, "I'm going to be concerned about these people." And I don't know whether they were or weren't. You know, all I know is that God sent them to build back to build their build their town, you know, build their city. And they're, even at that point, they're not going to be a great nation ever, you know, ever again during this period of time. They're not going to be a great nation up until the millennial kingdom when God rules the whole world from there. Will they be a nation? Yes, they were established back as a nation here. After Roman times, they were taken out as being a nation, and they were not a nation until 1948 when they became a nation again. And they've been this small, troubled nation ever since. And they will be a small, troubled nation until the Messiah comes and reestablishes his, you know, reestablishes them as the world foundation. And so, but Ahasuerus now is looking at them and saying, "Well, Cyrus sent them back, but these guys are going to be trouble." These guys are going to try to rebuild their, rebuild their country. All because the Samaritans didn't like being rebuffed from helping them. And they started saying all these things, saying, hey, they're looking to, they're looking to have a, you know, set up a new kingdom and, and reset their kingdom again, and you better beware. And Ahasuerus buys into it, hook, line, and sinker. He buys into this accusation. And says, "Yep, that's their history. This is who they are. I'm gonna, I'm gonna accept it." And again, Satan's attack. You know, water down. Join with us. You know, just be like us. You know, we'll we'll help you out. Doesn't work. Then try to attack. You know, try to get people discouraged and 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 destructive. That doesn't work. Then make accusations. And the world will almost always listen to the accusations. And this is where it becomes very important for us to let God be our defender and say, okay, God, how, how, what, do we, what do you want us to do? How do, you want to, how do you want us to handle this? Sometimes it takes direct act, action against it, but we want to listen to God first and say, God, what is it? And we're going to see that Ezra and them will take action to, to respond to this letter. And, but we're going to see... Now, Hazarus' answer to them is, verse 22, Take heed now that you fail not to do this. Oops, verse 21. Give you now command to cause these men to cease and this city to not be built until another commandment shall be given from me. 
Take heed now that you fail not to do this. Why should damage grow to the herd of the kings? All right, so his answer to them was, you go in there and you stop them from building that city. <laughs> okay, so his command is, and he's going to give them that command to be read to the, to the Jews, stop building the city, stop building the temple. Now, we know that Cyrus told them to go build the temple, so they have gone a little further than they're supposed to by rebuilding the walls. And their answer is going to be very simple. You can't have a city with a big temple in there that's, that's not defendable. You know, and you know, we're, we're building a city, and you've got to have a wall around your city to be protected. Otherwise, every, every vagrant and tramp and, and vagabond army will come in and, and, and harass us. And so, and this is a standard procedure in those days. If you have a city, you have a wall. Otherwise, you just have a village. And villages were always in danger of being attacked because you didn't have a wall to keep people out. And cities had walls. So in their mind, they're building a city and they need to protect the temple and all that. So they say, we're going to need a wall. And, but he says very much, he says, now I command you to cause, make these people cease building until you hear otherwise. And it says, and take heed that you fail not. And you do not neglect this. Why should, you know, why should there be damage? Why should there be injury to the king? Why should, my, why should I lose money if they build this city? <laughs> so stop them from building this city. Uh, very strong attack. And he's, uh, you know, the, the government, you know, getting involved in all of this and saying, stop. <laughs> You're not going to worship the God. You're not going to be able to do this. Cyrus sent them, and Darius or Hazarius tells them, no, you're going to stop. And it says, now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem and to the Jews and made them cease by force and power. Okay, so they came in with military rights and direction from the king, and said, you are stopping, and if you don't, we're attacking. Okay, and no matter, you know, in verse 24, then ceased the work of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So there's going to be a long period of time while, there, while there's going to be re responses and everything. But they were sent in to stop it. And Satan will work hard at stopping God's work even to the point of bringing in government and bringing in, you know, just bad name for the people and trying to make the people think badly about what's going on. And so this is what we look at is, as, as we do a work of God, Satan will not let God's work go forward without countering it. You, know, you can sit there, you can have a church that doesn't do a whole lot, doesn't care about the people. Maybe the best teaching in the world is going on in the church, but if the people aren't taking the, what they're learning and going out and doing something with it, Satan doesn't care you know, because they're not harming his kingdom. But the minute you get people going out with a message that changes the community and, and they express that view, the, the message out to others and, and the message is going out and God's word is going out, Satan is going to start coming back with attacks. And we can guarantee that it's going to happen every single time. We do little things around here with getting involved in the parade, passing out tracts, passing out Bibles. Satan isn't going to like any of that. 
He's not going to like a message that says, get right with God or you're going to hell. Because that is a strong message. Now, just teach me a lot about the Bible with no, no gospel message in there and you'll be okay. You know, just water down that message. Water down the God's message and, you know, give me lots of facts, lots of, lots of information, lots of trivia that I can banter around. But when you want to preach the gospel of Christ that moves God's kingdom, Satan will come back and attack. And we see the attacks all the time. We see it from outside. We see it from inside. We see it from comments. This, this picture here is the perfect picture of how Satan attacks God's work. And he, we want to be very much in the idea. Satan is alive. He is real. He is a power that is trying to hurt God. He is not God's equal. He is not going to defeat God. But his goal is simply to hurt God take as many of his precious creation that we are away from him. And that is what his goal is, to get as many souls into hell. He doesn't care if they act good all their life and, and think they're going to heaven because of their goodness. He's, that's fine by him, as long as they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's why we give the gospel message. We all are sinners. We all deserve punishment. And Jesus died for our sins so that we could have the free gift of salvation. And we keep preaching that gospel and keep teaching that gospel and keep sharing that gospel. And I keep telling it over and over to our people so they'll share the gospel because it only takes a couple seconds to give the gospel. And it's not a hard message. Any little child can understand it. The problem is with most adults, we don't like how simple the message is. It's, well, what about me? What can I do? Nothing. <laughs> I can do nothing because I can't earn it. I have to accept a gift, the gift that hey, God provides for me. And so it's very important for us to look at this. We're going to go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this, this chapter that we looked and added. Lord, we ask that you help us to see... Satan's attacks for what they are. Help us to learn just to rest in you always. Help us to let you do your work through us and through each individual and see you move mightily. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.